Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Jay's Talk Minus, as it were. I'm Blake Murphy. Not a very good weekend for your Toronto Blue Jays. They've lost 9 of 10. They're swept by the Mariners. They're down to 45 and 42. They are now only tied for the final wildcard spot. And only two up on Baltimore and Cleveland. Only two and a half up on the White Sox. The Jays are not solely responsible for this, but this going from a three-team race for three spots with some peripheral teams to a seven-team race legitimately, a lot of that hangs on the Jays. Playing poorly, letting teams like the Orioles and Mariners up off the mat. Boston's also pulling away. They're up two and a half games over the Jays. Not an insurmountable margin, especially with how tough a schedule Boston has the rest of the way. Certainly... (laughs) Less preferable than uh, being up two and a half games as you were not too long ago. Six games left before the All-Star break. Jays are in triage mode, especially when it comes to the pitchers. We're going to sort through today how they steer out of this, what the next six games need to look like, how, if, this recent one and nine stretch has changed anything in terms of trade deadline priorities, trade deadline aggression, We've got Arden Swelling in studio for the next hour. We'll have Sarah Langs and J.D. Bunkus on a little bit later. As always, you can send your texts into 590-590 or tweet at me at Blake Murphy ODC. I have a feeling what most of those texts are going to say or ask. So apologies if I don't answer all of them because they'll probably be fairly homogenous. I was joking with the Yankees writer earlier about the state of the Jays. And she pointed out in very comic fashion how funny the Vlad last year was the trailer. This year is the movie quote looks right now. Uh, It's gone from Criterion Collection to straight to Netflix. Not great. So to help us sort through it again, 590-590, you can send your texts in. You can tweet at me uh, your takes or your questions. We've got Arden Zwelling here for the next hour. Arden of course, of Sportsnet, of At The Letters, of he's doing five games over a weekend in the Tampa series on radio color commentary. He's doing the West Coast games on TV. What doesn't this man do, Arden? Other than exhausted, how are you, buddy? Yeah, what does he do other than sleep? Uh, Not much. Yeah, I love how Vlad gives the first, like, usable quote of his career this spring. People go nuts. They put it on shirts. They're bringing signs to the ballpark. And now it's just being used against him. Yeah. Never it's another anything. Adam Sandler family flick right to Netflix <laughs> right now. Everyone wanted uh, never say everyone anything. wanted everything everywhere all the time. And instead they get nowhere, nothing, none of the time. Yeah. We went out there. We gave 110%. That's all you say. Oh, we're trying really hard. We got to turn the page one day at a time. Another one tomorrow. Never say anything. Yeah. Keep your stick on the ice. Play a 200 yeah. foot game. Good Lord oh, willing. Puck man. bounces your way. Hey, a little <laughs> juice in the division though. Like here you yeah. say that, right? Like I was looking forward to these, uh, what they got 15 games left against the Orioles. Yeah. I was like, man, that's going to be a drag over the rest nope. of the season. No, those games mean something now. A little yeah. juice. Last Great. time though, the last time they played the Orioles, I had a couple Orioles people on and, and we talked around this idea that like the Orioles aren't bad anymore, but there's supposed to be a step in between being bad and being good where you're just kind of annoying yeah, and you're hard to beat and the, you'll, you'll give up a game or two to them here and there. 
the Orioles seem to have jumped that step. They're too good now. That you missed <laughs> you missed the spot where you're supposed to be annoying but beatable, and like the team goes like twelve and seven against you for the season, but they're all tight one run games. Uh, they've skipped that step. There was one win over the weekend. It came from you. Your rugby team won at least. Oh yeah. That is right. That was a win. The Jays got one. Yeah, it wasn't on the weekend. It was no. on the trip. Yeah. Yeah, we won on Saturday. Yeah. So the, Jays have, the Jays haven't <laughs> won in a while. It didn't over to Saturday night as I was sitting in that studio at 1 a.m. hobbling around. Uh, yeah, one win on the weekend. The Orioles got nothing to play for, man. That's what's sweet for them. Like, what do you, you take the field every day and you're just like, yeah, it doesn't, we're not supposed to be here. No. This is house money, baby. Like, yeah, whatever. This Who cares is, what happens? There's no stakes. It's kind of where the Jays were 2020-ish, where, like, obviously there was a bunch of nonsense around that season with the pandemic shortened year and the extra playoff spots. But it's the old Pat Riley thing, the innocent climb, right? On your way up, before expectations come in, everything is fun and easy and gravy. Yeah. And that's what the Orioles are in right now the one like their front office has to at least be a little bit pissed like yeah like (laughs) can we not trade trey mancini now because of (laughs) the because we're only two games out like how many bullpen arms we were gonna deal off this club yeah and look at the reaction the mariners got last year when they did that they were borderline wildcard team traded off pieces and it was very bad PR, and then you look this year, and they're in the mix, and you'd like to have some of that back, maybe. That's, that's the hilarious thing the Blue Jays have done over the last week is they've let the Mariners back into yeah. it. They've let the Orioles back into it. They've eliminated sellers from the market yes. and made it harder for the for themselves to address their many obvious needs. So it's not just like losses in the standings and on the yeah. score sheet every night. You are also making it harder for yourself to improve uh, that is compounded. On top of which, you could have looked at that AL Central division and thought, well, Minnesota's pulling away and none of the other teams are 500. So maybe the White Sox are more open to dealing a reliever than you thought maybe. Maybe your old pals in Cleveland are a little more open to a deal. And now those teams are two and two and a half games out of the playoffs as well. So I went through the standings earlier today and the way I have it is there are 12 teams that are clearly in buy mode they're far enough ahead or they're in a contention timeline there are 11 teams that are out of it and should be selling yeah now whether those teams have good pieces or not uh, is a is a big question mark it's probably a reason why they're so bad yes yes shocking that every bad team has no (laughs) knockout relievers uh and then there are seven teams kind of in that in between where either you would have thought they were buyers and they're underperforming or you would have thought they were sellers and they're overperforming kind of makes these next couple weeks in the standings you know, I I know everyone's fond of saying like all 162 games are, are created equal. And then some people feel that the ones down the stretch are, you know, feel like they're worth more at least. I've always maintained the earlier games are more important because they dictate the directions teams are going to go in. And whether you're aggressive on the trade market, whether there are enough sellers out there. So, okay, let's... let's well- and for that reason, like, I think the earliest we see a quote-unquote big trade, because, like, these little trades happen all the time, right? Like, Anthony Bond was a trade. But an actual substantial trade would be at the earliest over the All-Star break, yeah. I think. And probably not even then. But at the very earliest, maybe someone does something over the All-Star break. But realistically, it's going to be when teams come back from All-Star. Mm-hmm. Because don't forget, the draft is July 17th. Sunday. Like, it, teams are in full-on draft prep mode. Yeah right now they're juggling that along with the day-to-day operations so of the team. only urgency you'd have to get a deal now if you're a seller is if you're in the market for 
draft slot bonus, international slot money or whatever, because you know what targets there or whatever. But I don't, I don't think that's yeah. pushing a, a deal across the finish line versus waiting an extra couple of weeks and, and seeing the market ramp. Up. I mean, we saw a pick trade today with Atlanta, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was for some minor leaguers you'd never heard of. Right. right? And the bonus was like $2.2 million. So it's a very know, out of the park baseball trade. <laughs> totally. They put a value on those human beings yeah. and said, these three individuals add up to $2.2 million. That's yeah. how that trade was made. It's, uh, it's so yeah. heartless and dehumanizing. Trade deadline. I look at the roster sheet on my, my franchise. It's like, oh no, my double A team has 41 guys. Yeah. I got to sell some of these. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what is a guy with 45 potential 45 grade potential worth so if you're the blue jays and you're looking to upgrade this team from outside the organization like you're realistically not going to be able to do it until you're maybe in boston that weekend after the all-star break but Mm -hmm. even more realistically just not till the last week of the month and you got a lot of games between now and then you got the phillies you got kc you got boston you're gonna play st louis and detroit in that final week and then the trade deadline you're in you're in st pete at the trop on on the second so i mean between now and then you've got to get better internally because there isn't going to be a big deal out there anytime soon yeah and they're one of the tougher things about baseball sometimes is like this the capacity to improve internally is at the same time a positive and a negative right because it's like well the solutions are in-house for the most part but that obviously hasn't worked out like this offense had had resolved itself for a while and then went completely the opposite direction so in this one and nine stretch, yeah, let's zoom out. We'll get back. We'll circle back to trade stuff. These last two weeks, what is the most concerning thing to you? Starting pitching. Honestly, the fact that in a four game series um, against the Seattle Mariners, you had two bullpen days. Yeah. And you could call Castillo a start, but I mean, it was basically a bullpen day. Him getting into the fourth inning being yeah. like, something to celebrate it's a bullpen day <laughs> right and, and i like max i think he's shown more than in the minors than maybe he he got credit for as a non-prospect or whatever right and like some of the the off field changes people have have dug into with him that that's kind of helped the velocity go up and stuff but like he's elevated himself from non-prospect to just a guy he's not like if we're going on the just a guy to oh he's a guy scale he's just a guy yeah and you get five and die from him and you're doing cartwheels right like because look it's yeah he he looked good against seattle and he should absolutely start on i guess it would be saturday against kansas city would be the next time his turn would come up although they could do some funky things with rotation this week and that's assuming gosman can go on tuesday exactly right but so i think castillo should absolutely stick in this rotation until the all-star break and just Mm -hmm. fill in wherever the blue jays are going to have a gap he's earned that but against Seattle, I mean, it was like two whiffs. It was a lot on the plate. It's yep. like a 93-mile-an-hour heater and a change-up. Like, how long is that going to be effective at the big league level? Like, how long until there's enough video and clubs figure him out? We saw the the bad side of that against the Yankees in his debut. Yeah, t- the first two batters. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and also <sighs> there were some mistakes that he got away with to hitters who were not Carlos Santana. Uh, I thought in that game, but look good for him. Not taking anything away from him, but don't like say like Max Castillo is going to be the next Alec Manoa. I don't think anybody should be assuming that. No, he's just like, he's an upgrade on the Casey Lawrence, Thomas hatch potential to fill in that spot. And that's great, but that still puts you at like sixth or seventh in org depth at the starting pitching position. And honestly that the org would probably tell you if they were being honest, they'd probably rather have him as 
multi-inning bullpen depth than starting depth if they had their way. Um, I think he'd fit well into the Ross Stripling role, yeah. right? Because Ross Stripling's now in your rotation yeah. for the rest of the year and because of what's happened. I've so. seen some Castillo-Stripling comps where it's like, oh, he doesn't throw hard either and, and throws a couple pitches. Something that's lost in the Ross Stripling thing is not only the, like, puzzle master thing he does with the five pitches and locations <laughs> and sequencing and stuff, yeah. but his changeup has also developed into an elite secondary pitch like Eno Saris has his stuff plus metric at the athletic yeah. which is you know movement and swing and miss stuff and ability basically how good is that pitch taking away the command element of it. he splits pitching into command and stuff and then breaks it down by pitch it's the number one change up in baseball so far this year it's remarkable isn't it so to compare anyone to Ross Stripling right now it's like okay yeah he doesn't throw hard and he throws five pitches that puts him in a certain category of pitcher but he also has the best changeup in baseball so far. So it's not, it does Ross Stripling a disservice to look at a Castillo and be like, maybe he could be that. I think Strip like locates that pitch so well, mm -hmm. arm side, and he's got a lot more confidence in it this year. And this is from like talking to him, talking to like coaches and stuff. He's just way more confident in it and in the feel in it this year. And he'll still tell you like, it's the ultimate feel pitch. Sometimes I might take them out and just not have it. He's had it more often than he hasn't this year. And he's throwing it right on right. And it's got really nice fade to it. And it just plays well off his other offerings, right? Like the four-seamer is up. The changeup is down. The slider's going one way. The curveball's going... Sorry, the curveball's down. The slider's going one way. And the changeup is going the other. And then, oh, by the way, here's a little two-seamer, right? Like yeah. That I just added, kind of like Robbie Ray did. Uh, and I'm going to use it similarly to the way Robbie Ray has. So it's he's just using it really effectively. And I think mm -hmm. that's helping it play up. But we still see, like third trip through hitters get a pretty good idea of like, okay, strip, you got me twice. Like yeah. I, I know what you're doing now. Not again. And, and typically it's not again. Yeah. It's, it's a huge sign too, that the Jays have had this little starting pitching depth of late and relied on their bullpen that much. And they're still, they haven't really nudged on their confidence level to let stripling go a third time through. Right. The results like, sort of suggest they shouldn't honestly, I know, you know, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. It, like, in a normal situation, if you have a top five offense and a couple good starters and your fifth guy is giving you five and dive, that's yeah. awesome. That's that's a <laughs> and like most teams that enter the season with playoff aspirations, yes, you need five guys over the course of the year, but you also know that like Stripling's not starting a playoff game. No, he shouldn't be. Unless yeah. Barrios is in a disaster situation. But I mean, right now he would in a seven game series. Yeah. But that's because who knows with Yusei Kikuchi. So, okay. so But yeah, to answer your original question, like starting pitching yes. by far is my primary concern coming off of this skid because I think that that has been the catalyst for everything else. Yes. That's why the bullpen's overworked. That's why it's over leveraged. That's why you're having to rely on guys like Phelps and Sim Simber in places you don't want to. And that's also why I think the approach has changed from your hitters. Okay, that's what I was going to ask next because yeah. Charlie Montoyo mentioned that last week. And, you know, I think my guys are being, oh, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think my guys are being too aggressive because they're playing from behind a lot and trying to, you know, to use the old George Springer thing, trying to hit a five-run home run. Well, so in the last 14 days, right? Yep. So pretty much over this streak, the Blue Jays have a 6.7% walk rate. Yep. That is 26th in MLB. And they have a 49.8%, so basically a 50% swing rate. That is fifth in MLB. So they are swinging top five and walking bottom five. That's not what they need to be executing to be good. And no. that's not the ability of this lineup and not the strength of this lineup. You know what the weirdest part about that? I dove into those same stats. So their chase rate and their, when you put their called strike and swinging strike rate together and their contact rate, yeah. all that stuff's fine. I know. 
they are seeing more pitches in the zone during that stretch than any other team in baseball. What that tells me is that pitchers have gotten, and maybe it's just the run of pitchers you face. They have faced a lot of guys who work in the zone a lot and induce soft contact, but pitchers seem pretty comfortable attacking this offense in the zone, even though they are super aggressive. It's maddening when, like, it's one thing when Robbie Ray does it, right? Like, Robbie Ray gets into that bases loaded jam and, like, throws some nasty sliders to Santiago Espinal, right? And locates some awesome fastballs inside to Matt Chapman. Lefty on righty drives that fastball right in Matt Chapman's kitchen, right? Like, those are great, great pitches. Tapia, sinker, like two feet off the plate, should have never swung at it and ground out in that situation. First pitch, sinker, you knew what Robbie Ray was going to throw. But Robbie Ray to Espinal and Chapman, I thought was like so tough. But then you see Cole Irvin doing <laughs> or it. Or Marco Gonzalez. <laughs> Marco Gonzalez, James Caprillion is doing it. And you yeah. think like, what is going on here? Like surely, you know, like the SN Betts guys are in the studio before this matchup saying it's the Blue Jays offense versus Cole Irvin. They should smash this guy versus soft tossing lefty Marco Gonzalez. Absolutely. They, you know, bet this, like they should smash this dude and the Blue Jays don't. And so that's might be where some of that approach stuff and the quote unquote doing too much stuff, the intangible stuff bleeds in. Yeah. It's like, like usually around 445 on this show, I'll go through the lineups and the pitcher scouting report and pull some of those numbers of like, oh, this is how the Jays have done against a pitcher who looks like this or this type of pitch. And for like two weeks now, it's been like, yeah, the Jays should hammer this guy and they're just not doing it so that level of comfort that opposing pitchers have against the Jays right now and maybe maybe comfort's not the right word we can't get in their head but they're certainly pitching like they're comfortable that aggressive in the zone what is the counter to that because we know from there was that May 24th the June 20 something stretch where the Jays were by far the best offensive baseball. Their walk rate was up to double digits, nearly it almost double what it's been in this 10 game stretch. Yeah. And there but there wasn't a huge huge change in their overall like pitches per plate appearance were barely up. Right. They weren't going deep 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 into counts. They were just being more selectively aggressive. Is there room to do that when opposing pitchers are attacking you in the zone so much because I'd worry if I'm going up there, if I don't swing, I'm getting behind Oh one anyway. Yeah. So why don't I try to put a bat on it? Yeah. And sometimes you George Springer and you take the first pitch out of the ballpark. Yeah. Everyone right? should do that. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they do that every time? Why don't they make the entire lineup out of George Springer's? But also here's the thing. The entire lineup is dudes with like WRC plus is over a hundred. You got like eight hitters in there who were like for the season are above league average hitters. That's why I kind of, I fall on the side of this is just a small sample, mm -hmm. crazy little noisiness thing. This is just a bad well, couple of weeks. You can dive into, like we said, you, you pointed out the they're swinging a lot and not walking a lot. And those are true. But a lot of the other plate discipline stuff, a lot of the other bat to ball stuff is right in line with what we've come to expect from them. Yeah. They're a more aggressive offense than they are a patient one. But those, that usually results in results. And, like, even the StatCast stuff hasn't been super negative lately. Like, you go into the last 10 days, this one and nine stretch, and it's like, yeah, like, even when you isolate for first pitch, because I think that's the that's the thing that drives most people nuts, right, is if you swing at a first pitch and it's not good um, or, or the results aren't good, right. they're hitting over 300 on the first pitch of at-bats, <laughs> yeah. slugging almost 500. Like, it hasn't yeah. been that bad. It's just 
there are a lot of little things going the opposite way within that approach. They got guys like Alejandro Kirk who are hitting really well with two strikes mm-hmm. as well, right? Like Santiago Espinal, like with two strikes, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's remarkable. So I, that's why I think it's just a small sample. It's just like the most unfortunate circumstances. It's as if a ball went through a first baseman's glove twice within, you know, the first half of the season. It's yeah. the sort of thing that would never happen and that you would, you would never see in your entire lifetime. It's just crazy. And then that, it happens. That it would happen. That You know, your super athletic catching prospect would just drop a, you know, simple pop-up right in front of the plate. It's the type of stuff that just never happens, Blake. Yeah. But uh, it's... It's movie montage stuff. <laughs> it's like every... Okay, we got to show the montage where everything that could go wrong is going wrong. No, oh, it's incredible. Um, So, like, I, I just... I, I really don't worry about this offense like i think the blue jays offense is really good honestly like if you really zoom out and look at they're tied for fifth still in wrc plus and this is the second like crisis stretch we've had with this offense this season already and they're still top five what was it the other in the extra inning game they went two for 20 with runners in scoring position or something like that Mm -hmm. and like for me the the skill is hitting the skill isn't hitting with runners in scoring position the skill is hitting so you don't you don't put anything into them being so over this 10 game stretch uh, a 29 WRC plus with runners in scoring position. So they're hitting at about 29% of what an average <laughs> plate appearance would look like. And they're below average on the season. Like not, yeah. they're not only below, like most of the league hits better with running runners in scoring position because pitchers aren't as effective with runners on base. The Jays are actually 5% below league average with runners in scoring position. You for the season. Yes. Yeah. So 95 WRC yeah. plus, and that's uh, among the worst in the league. Right. You don't put, much stock into that other than it's it's bad luck with sequencing because the one thing that did stand out to me when i dove into those numbers is that the ground ball rate spikes a lot yeah and so i would need to look into the approach that they've seen right like what how have they been pitched in those Mm -hmm. spots and like who is who has had the most played appearances in those spots like i haven't done the homework on that to really say confidently like this is or is not a thing um it's kind of to me it feels like one run games Right. Like it feels more like something that is going to be more impacted by luck. Yes, you have to be good to win one run games and you probably have to be bad to lose a lot of one run games. But there is also a lot of luck factor in there. And I feel like it's sort of the same thing with hitting with runners in scoring position, because to me, the skill is hitting. And so I'm just going to count on the skilled hitters to hit skillfully over a a long period of time. You dolt. (laughs) uh, By the way, uh, the biggest culprit is Vlad. Who yeah. we know, we know what the ground ball rate is an indicator of for Vlad, right? right? Like when he's struggling and pressing, the ground ball rate spikes. All the other metrics go down. Uh, he leads the team in plate appearances with runners in scoring position, and he has almost a sixty percent ground ball rate in those situations. So I think that's probably the primary area you're looking. Lourdes Gurriel and Espinal are also both top six in plate appearances with runners in scoring position and have higher ground ball rates. Um, Gurriel, I could see there being a, you're just aggressive. You're maybe a little too aggressive in those spots approach, but he also has a million grand slams Uh, (laughs) and Espinal's just like, that's his batted ball profile. There's not a huge change there, but I do think the Vlad thing, I, I certainly think you're pitching him carefully when there are runners in scoring position. And I don't know that he has fully counter adjusted to that yet. And one of my biggest like feels like takes that I don't have statistics to back up or evidence for this claim, but it feels like once a series, Vlad misses a pitch that last year he would demolish to the moon. Just watching these games, like once a series, I see him do that and you see him react 
you know, you see him react like, oh, I just missed that. Like, slam his bat, you know, like hit himself in the head. Mm -hmm. He's like grumbling to himself. Like, and, you know, Vlad's not super demonstrative, but he'll let you know in those moments. Like, I just missed a pitch that I know I could have done damage on. I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's a swing thing, if it's a mental thing, if the wrist still lingering, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if it's health. Like, I don't know what it is, but that is something that I feel like I have seen a lot. I would agree with that. And I mean, I don't have the numbers for specifically that. But right. you do, like, it, it bears it out that he has a, what, 130 WRC plus on, on the season. So he, 130, yeah, 130. Um, so he's been 30% better than an average, a league average hitter. So that's yeah. good. He's been good. But last year, that was 166. And for half a season last year, that was 190. <laughs> like, he was double. Yeah, he was Alvarez for a while last he year. He was yeah. double an average player at the yeah. plate uh, for half a season. And that's why, so Ben Nichols and Smith was on with me last week, and we did kind of the midway point snapshot. And one of the questions we kicked around was, who could you see internally being the biggest swing piece in the second half? And even though he's been good, I said Vlad, because we know what a hot full half season looks like from Vlad, and it's you're the MVP for half a year. Yeah, there's a few guys. Like right? at the halfway point last year, I I would guess Vlad was ahead of Shohei on like a straw poll MVP thing. Yeah, it's around like, the midway it's mark. Hard to remember, maybe. Because I think he was sitting in the triple crown spot and had a better yeah. WRC plus at that point, and then by the he cooled off, and then right. Shohei just insisted upon himself. There's a few guys, right? Because you could see Bo Bichette outplaying his current. WRC plus He's been played. a league average bat so far. That's right? not Bo. So you could see that being over the second half, a one thirty, pretty easily. Right. Yeah. So there's 30 points. There's the 30 points you were saying Vlad could add. Yep. Bo could add those as well. You could see Teoscar Hernandez way outperforming his first half, right? Mm -hmm. There's a number of players who have underperformed their track records yep. this year. And it's, and still, I think it's been a good offense yeah. in spite of that. And like even Matt Chapman, like he's having a career worst year statistically, but you dig into the stat cast stuff and he's, hitting the heck out of the ball yeah. like he's he's been one of the least fortunate if fortunate i'm using as kind of a placeholder for like expected results versus actual results but he's been one of the biggest gaps in that yeah. when you rip a ball does it find a hole does it get over the fence it's no he's been the guy that like you know that account does it dong that looks at how many parks <laughs> each home run would have been out of and like he's constantly on the bad end of that now i guess the one counter to that would be it doesn't feel like it, but Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has probably had as good an offensive season so far as you could hope. He's yep. hitting almost 300. Yep. Kirk, oh. even if you're crazy optimistic about Kirk, yeah. you probably got to expect a little bit of cool down. Like he's sure. 309, 395, 481 slash. Yeah. Um, and then we're already starting to see this a little bit, but Springer hasn't hit the IL yet. No. And he's now missing multiple games with mystery ailments. He's a crazy one, though, because then sometimes he'll rip the... He yep. hit two homers in Seattle, right? Yeah. Like, and some, they, one of them was opposite field. Like, yeah. He's still got the strength to drive the ball yeah. out. His home run muscle of. is fine. It's something else <laughs> going on. Right? And you'll still see him lay out for balls in center field and yeah. getting there, right? Like, And then sometimes you'll see him come out of the batter's box and be like, this guy is not moving well at all. Like, He's not getting up the first baseline well at all. And then there will be a ball hit to the wall in the outfield and he'll be sprinting for it like a gazelle. Sometimes he'll take a swing and he'll crumple to a knee and he'll look awful. And then sometimes he'll ambush the first pitch of a ball game and drive it out of the park at 110 miles an hour. He like leads it, the league in I think he's injured moments for sure. And then following it up with a, oh no, he's fine moment. Yeah. Right? So he is like such a hard player to analyze in that way because I think that he can play with some pretty significant injuries. And I think we've seen him do that a lot throughout his career. 
and he can like it's kind of confounding sometimes how different he can look aesthetically mm-hmm. in a game from plate appearance to plate appearance even and then so that covers kind of the top eight guys and then the the bench pieces I mean, one, if you're a bench piece, we expect your performance to be up and down, right? Like, Kevin Biggio has a WRC plus of zero during this one and nine stretch. And before that, he was the hottest hitter on the team. Yeah. Rymel Tapia has been their best hitter during this 10-game stretch, and he's but he's barely played. So yeah. that's noise. Um, the one, we'll, we'll end here before we take a break. Um, Gabriel Moreno yeah, has not hit well at all recently. That's fine you absolutely have to expect a rookie catcher with all this being thrown at him having some ups and downs and i don't even think you're unhappy with you know 276 average 300 obp for his first time through there's been no no power there but that's okay um but has i won't even frame this as a question but yeah the decision when danny jansen is ready has gotten very easy right it's obvious yeah um and i wonder like what's the league average for a catcher when you talk about like him you know having a 300 obp and hitting what 275 you said like what i mean that's got to be probably even above league average for a catcher what's the what's the league average wrc plus for a catcher 86 yeah okay so, so it's league that, average right? catchers hitting 222 with a 292 obp uh, yeah. but they've got him beat for slugging is right. the thing this so is with, 364 slugging and he's sub 300 if he popped a couple it would be different but yeah yeah, he hasn't had the power, but batting average and OBP are above that of a league average. And catcher. the approach is there. You uh, like the way he looks at the plate most of the time. You, I did. I think over you, the last, you've gotten away from it a over little bit. Over the last week, I think he's been exposed a little bit. I think we've seen him expand. We've seen him miss pitches in the zone. Seen him be in between a little bit. Like I think you are seeing the realities of you know, oh, you're 23 and you've never played at the you know, and in, in the big leagues. And before. you skyrocketed through the minors with not a ton of experience. Exactly, and you came up with a lot of hype, a lot of expectations, and you're now playing every day, and it's a grind, and like opposition pitching is tough, and yeah. they're figuring you out, and uh, you're trying to break in at the hardest position to like assimilate to the big league level, and at. probably wearing a little bit mentally with man, I came up and all the pitchers are struggling, and it's not. Yeah. That, I'm not saying that that correlation is causation. I don't think Gabriel Moreno came up and suddenly all the pitchers got hurt and bad. Yeah. But I'm sure that that is there's a mental toll to that as well. And an extra, you know, if he's putting in an extra hour of study at night before he goes to bed or whatever, it's on the defensive side, not the offensive side. All of that is to say, I don't think any of this is surprising or discouraging about what he is long term. But when Danny Jansen's ready to go, Moreno's going back down to AAA, right? I think it's pretty obvious. And you keep Collins on your bench yeah. so that you can play both Jansen and Kirk in the lineup. Do we have any? I, I know Jansen's been on a, on a rehab assignment. Is he close? I thought he would be up in Seattle, to okay. be honest with you. So I'll be pretty surprised if he's not there on Tomorrow. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, I'll be surprised. Um, he has played five games at AAA and three at single A. They might have just said, like, we don't want to, why make the yeah. flight out to Seattle when you're only going to play, like, one game, yeah. <laughs> right, on the weekend. So yeah. just stick on the East Coast, and you'll meet up with us in Toronto. I imagine that's what's happening. Hitting well down there. So that's that's good to see. Yeah, he's only got to keep up, like, uh, what, like a friggin' 15% homer rate when yeah. he comes back, yeah. whatever Infinite it was. infinite home run rate, basically. <laughs> um, a couple of those games, by the way, the, the three single-A games I mentioned were back on his last IL stint. Uh, he's had five games at AAA since uh, – on, on this assignment, and he homered uh, yesterday. Yesterday was the 10th. So there you go. Yeah, and he's a really good game manager. I think that'll up the, uh, you know, the the results for a lot of Blue Jays pitchers because Danny Jansen calls a really good game. Pitchers have a lot of confidence in him. He throws down signs with conviction. He just manages a game well. He understands mm-hmm. adjustments in game 
a lot better than a 22 or 23-year-old catcher can because they lack the experience. And he's caught all these guys. Yes. Except for maybe like the Castillo-Lawrence group that Moreno actually has the edge catching because he's been in the minors with them. Moreno's been catching like Castillo since they were kids. Yeah. Like up through Venezuela. Yeah. He caught him in winter league in Venezuela. Now, if Moreno were playing better, there's a feature story for you. (laughs) If he were staying up and Max Castillo sticks, I don't know if you want to take the the bus down to Buffalo to do that story in a couple weeks. I'm doing enough work right now. Yeah. Uh, All right. Speaking of you're doing enough work, let's let's give you a break. Sweet. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue kicking around some of this stuff. We'll look at the pitching side. We'll take a look at the, the trade market. Uh, we'll also try to figure out what a six-game stretch here before the All-Star break, what would be considered a success. Uh, Arden Welling stays with us on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It's a little band called Pew Pew Pew, local group. Hopefully you were having a, a nice Saturday in the park before you turned on the Jays Mariners game that I think it was Saturday's game went to 11. Do I have my games uh, lined up right? Friday. Friday went to 11. Saturday was the Manoa hard Fr- luck to one. Fridays went to 11. Yeah, they got walked off. Yeah, Saturday. Yes. Yeah, Manoa was great. They got walked there. Yeah, 2 1. Yeah, they all blend together right. when they're disasters like that. I have a crisp memory for <laughs> delineating fun wins on a winning streak, right. less so on a losing streak. It all just blurs together. Yeah, there were a couple swings away from things being different. They were a, what, equipment malfunction, I guess you'd call it, from sure. things being different, right? It's baseball's a crazy sport. How does that happen twice? I don't know. I couldn't I could not tell you. Like I have, I don't have an explanation. That's for the it. only reason I brought you on. Explain <laughs> to me how there's a hole in a glove. I don't have an explanation for it. Um, I really don't. This is Jay Stock Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Arden Zwelling with us for another segment here. Uh, we spent the first one kind of kicking around some of the struggles with the offense, but you had said off the top that the starting pitching is what's most concerning to you. Let's let's play optimist here and assume Kevin Gosman's bone bruise is good enough that he can start Tuesday. Okay. Or even, even not that, it's good enough that he could start out of the All-Star break, we'll say. I mean, yeah, real optimist would be he starts Tuesday because then he could yes. start again on Sunday. Sunday. So then you get him twice before the All-Star yeah. break, and then you just roll behind him with Brios, Stripling, yeah. Manoa, Castillo. Yes. Okay, so let's play it out where Gosman's okay. What are they doing with the Kikuchi spot, like medium term? Like, I'd imagine this... I'll keep calling it a phantom IL stint because next strain is the most phantom IL thing that there is. Um, And that allows you to send them to a rehab start. So you don't have to option them down and go through that, you know, the the optics. 30 days on a rehab outing. Yeah. So the tough thing with Kikuchi is you need him to be locating. You need him to be throwing mm -hmm. his fastball in the zone. And you don't know that until you get him back on a mound. Yeah. And once you get him back on the mound, it's like, well, we're ramping him back up. He's healthy again. And here he comes. But what if you get him back on the mound and he's on the zone? Yeah. But you don't know that until you get him on the mound. So you got to be careful with uh, how long it takes him to recover from his next strain. This is also the, you you get the 30 days on the rehab assignment and you can run the clock. Like Nate Pearson was on like day 29 of his rehab assignment and then strained his lat. Like yeah. they just pushed that decision off as long as they could. And then it resolved itself. Not in a way you'd want. 
but <laughs> it did reach a conclusion. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's like they keep needing 40 man spots and then they keep having to put people on the 60 day IL. That's not how you want the 40 man situation to resolve oh. itself. So let's say Kikuchi is going to miss a chunk of time here. We're all fond of the job Max Castillo has done so far, but ideally he's in more of a swingman role or org depth at, at AAA for the starting position. Yeah. The way things have played out of late, do you think that the Jays' priorities ahead of the deadline have shifted toward the starting pitching market? I, I think we all assumed bullpen was going to be the focus, and then early in the year, maybe a left-handed bat. Do you think they're probably looking at the starting pitching market at this point instead? I think it's got to be one starter, two relievers. Okay. I think that's kind of what you're looking for, and I think you can accomplish all of that, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think... I think with relievers, I don't know. You'll see. You'll probably get more impact without if it's a non-rental. But I think rental is probably the way to go on relief. And then on starters, like maybe look for somebody with some control and you pay that higher price tag. Because look, Hunjin Ryu is going to miss next season as well. Mm-hmm. You've got a gap next season as well. So if you can do a little bit of like It's this... not like there are any prospects knocking on the door right now. <laughs> like Ricky Tiedemann's yeah. down in A-ball. He's 19 years old. Right. Uh, so if you can do a little bit of this upcoming off-seasons business now, take care of that now with a starter with some control, then great. Uh, or you could go the rental route and you can look at like your Zach Davies of this world or your Chad Cools. Like your, I don't know, would Granky come here? Um, you can kind of look at some of the the rental options. Yeah, they really need another guy who doesn't miss bats. <laughs> I'm I'm one of the biggest Zach Granky fans there's been over the last 15 years, but uh, five strikeouts per nine is not. I think the the yeah. solution this no that wasn't a good idea pitching staff that's just the need. first name that came to yeah. mind Martin Perez how about that sure, he's having a go. nice year right? yeah with the Rangers so uh, yeah yeah I mean they'll have options Jays yeah. fans trying to twist their way into being happy getting not only a current Texas Ranger but a, a Texas Ranger from that era of yeah, the Texas Rangers <laughs> that could be a fun pretzel um, I would imagine something like one of the like we've heard for a year and a half now that the Marlins might be willing to move off one of their young pitchers before they start to get expensive to address other areas and I think Sandy Alcantara is uh aiming too high yeah that uh especially he's on now an affordable deal through 2027 do you think someone like a Pablo Lopez is aiming too high as well? His name's around, and I think that he would fit the bill of, like, the Barrios acquisition, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it would be a very similar thing, and so it would probably be a very similar price. So yeah. goodbye, or Elvis Martinez, or Gabriel Moreno, or Jordan Groshans. At least one of those three, maybe even two. Tell right? you, I'm fine with two of those guys going. I, yeah. I'm still I'm still holding Moreno stock. Uh, Arelvis Martinez is going to hit for power, but, like, it's a... 19, 20 year old, pretty far from the majors. So I know he's in double A, but most accounts have been that was a little aggressive pushing him to double A already. So I, I don't know how close he is. And then, I mean, I, I think Groshans is just kind of like if you are a believer in Bo Bichette and Santiago Espinal long term. And you think Kevin Biggio has a place as kind of a utility guy. Like, where does he go? He's a little superfluous, you would say. Yeah. And you've yeah. also got, you know, the Otto Lopez's of the world and um, if you need like a bench guy. So uh, I don't know. Groshans I, to me is like probably the, the most shoppable piece toward the top of their prospect ranking because I think teams would be pretty intrigued by a multi-position guy with a good average and OBP profile. Um, I know there are still some questions about whether he's going to hit for power and, and him in the weird offensive environment in AAA this year where it's like, Everyone is putting up Travis Snyder, Las Vegas 51s numbers. Right. Uh, he's not hitting for power still. 
that's maybe a concern, but I don't know. I think he's probably your most, like I was talking with Keith Law last week and we basically came up with the Jordan Groshans line where like anyone higher than that, it better be a real name you're bringing back to move someone higher on the list than Groshans. Anyone lower than Groshans, you're probably having to send out two prospects, maybe three to get something done. He's kind of in that sweet spot of maybe you could get something done for a package around him. Yeah, it's so hard to say without knowing how the Marlins value the Blue Jays' prospects, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the Marlins just take Baseball America's list and say, this is how we value your guys, right? They well, have- that's good because Groshans <laughs> isn't on that list. The, the update <laughs> came out today and uh, only two Jays on the top 100, Moreno and Ricky Tiedemann. Yeah, they might have their own. Um, well, they do have their own rankings there. Um and yeah, I don't know. Maybe they value somebody on your major league roster. Maybe they value Teoscar Hernandez. Maybe they're like, hey, we're not doing this deal if Alejandro Kirk is not in it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, that's Kirk, the guy. Kirk, to, to me, is the, the very interesting one. Like, I, I know you were just throwing out an example, but Teoscar being one year from free agency and then being not super close to contention, like, yeah. I don't know why a rebuilding team would... Lourdes, maybe, with the extra control and the cheaper contract and stuff, but... I feel like Lourdes also is a free agent after next year. Yeah. I think, after the top, off the top of my head, I'm yeah. pretty sure, because we, we were all mistaken. We were, like, mistaken on what he had on mm. that deal that he signed out of Cuba, because it was an international okay. free agent deal, so it was a little tricky, but I am... Yes, he has one year yeah, left. Fairly okay. certain. He is a free agent after next year as well. Yeah. yeah so. Um... But or yeah, I mean, or Kirk, maybe he's ARB eligible after next year, and that's what it is. There's one extra ARB. Anyway. I'm not confident enough yeah, in it to say anything. I shouldn't read it off too the... Assertive. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, Kirk Either way. is the guy that everyone's going to be asking for. But if you're right? in win now and you're trying to add pieces to win this year, why would you ever trade Alejandro Kirk? He's been your best hitter, right? <laughs> like, this is... Yeah. That's the tough part where, like, yes, he's young and he's controllable and he's cheap. He's also been your best hitter. Mm-hmm. So does and... a, does a trade where he goes out even make you better? Yeah, if it's Sandy Alcantara, it, it makes you better. If right. it's someone lower than that, I don't know that it does. I, in fact, I probably doubt that it does. But if you're also being like the uber dehumanizing like hedge fund manager of your like that's, a, that's not me of, <laughs> of your roster, and you're thinking, well, is this guy's value ever going to be higher than it is right now? And is this guy's longevity something that I really believe in? And am mm-hmm. I ever going to be able to return what I can for him right now in the future? I mean, it's, you know, parallels to the Barrios deal, the Blue Jays felt like the industry, um, our, our media market, frankly, are too high on Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. Like, mm-hmm. we are not as high on those guys as they are. We're kind of light yeah. on those guys. So their value is pretty high right now. We're going to move them. And you just mentioned the updated top 100 list. I wonder if either of those names are even on it. Yeah. Honestly, because like the industry was quite high on both those individuals last, uh, this time last year, essentially. And they've fallen off quite a bit. The Blue Jays were right. Yeah. And Austin Martin, similar to Groshans, the question was, is he going to hit for power? Right. Yeah. And at the uh, time, there was like some sticker shock with that price paid for Jose Brio. It was like, mm-hmm. sorry, wait, like Austin Martin was like the fifth overall pick and he was going to be the, you know, the, the next coming of whatever. And Simeon Woods Richardson's one of the top pitching prospects in this organization. Wow. You paid a really high price for Jose Brios. But then the the stock of those two individuals fell off quite precipitously. The Blue Jays are right. They felt like everyone was too high on those guys. Neither of them is in that top 100 update. See what I'm saying? I, yep. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, there's always a lot of churn in the back end of those things, but. Those guys were like the top 50 guys, yeah. right? And I mean, the fact that you only have two guys in there right now as, a, as an org, like, I don't know. It, maybe there was some over-optimism in the, the strength of the farm system at one point. Um, and that's coming around. I know if the Blue Jays really like a prospect, they typically don't deal. 
right? Yeah. And <laughs> Shocker. The guys that they really believe in, they don't deal. So when they dealt those two guys, that was immediate, like, alarm bells for me when those two guys were in the deal. I was like, oh, wait, yeah. what did we get wrong? Like, what did we screw up here? And we did. We were too high on those guys. Yeah. Um, At the time. Look, maybe they'll turn into something, right? You never write anybody off, you know? I mean, you like, can, though. Look at the closer for the freaking Orioles, man. Jorge Lopez. Like, what was he doing last year? He had like a six ERA. Yeah. Right? Failed starter. Was on waivers in 2020. Now he's like the deadline target. Yeah. You can <laughs> even, like, you can go through some of the big trades the Jays made in 2013 and 2015, 2016. And, yeah, there was a stretch where Noah Syndergaard was a big regret. And now Joe Musgrove's the guy from that group. But it took right. him four teams and a lot of years to become Joe Musgrove. Yeah. Like he wasn't, you didn't trade him. And two years later, it's like, oh, you could have had Joe Musgrove on those, tw- on that 2016 playoff team. Like you could have, but he wasn't this Joe Musgrove. He wasn't no. automatic under bet Joe Musgrove. No. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a while. So you never write off anybody, but yeah, like right now, if you're the Blue Jays and you think the industry is higher on somebody than you are internally, I mean, that's the guy who you're trying to flip for, for value as unfortunate as it is to use words like that when describing human beings. Given where the expectations were coming into this year, you think the front office is feeling some pressure with with this one and nine stretch to make sure they maybe not make a splash? I know this isn't the front off, like it's not in their personality to be like, oh, we got to make a splash. But do you think there's a, an element of pressure here? I don't because I don't think they look at any two-week period as something to react to and something to make decisions based off but it's not really a two-week period so much as it is what the two-week period has done to your overall outlook now where you're now tied for the final wild card spot and competing with six teams for three spots but you look at the blue jays today after 87 games are in exactly the same position as they were last season after 87 games right with with lesser indicators underlying that like they're only a plus nine run differential but the exact same record with an expanded postseason field Mm -hmm. and last year they added aggressively this year i expect them to continue to add aggressively right like i don't think that's going to change i this team's not going to sell and i like if anything maybe they add a little less aggressively but that honestly comes down to your opportunities it comes Mm -hmm. down to what you can find out there and what deals are available for you the one thing the blue jays are never going to do is overpay and they're never going to make a deal where they lose a lot of value. Like, that's just not the way they're wired. And, like, I get it. Like, people all day are like, you need to get somebody in here right now. You got to overpay. You got to overpay. And fine. And you, that's an opinion you can have. And, like, I might even in some cases agree with that opinion. But it's not what's going to happen. The Toronto Blue Jays front office, their ethos, their philosophy is to gain value in every deal they are trying to gain incremental value all throughout years over years not just two weeks not just a month year over year over year because they're trying to be the dodgers and they're trying to win sustainably every year they're trying they're not playing like a one two three year game dude they're playing like a 10 20 year game that's what they're playing right now Mm -hmm. and they're trying to never lose value in a transaction so if there isn't value coming back their way in the transaction they're not going to do it on the yeah. free agent market, in trade, in anything. They're never going to overpay just for the sake of addressing a bullpen hole today. It's not Which something they're going to do. I completely understand, especially with the bullpen thing where, you know, like, what are you going to do? More Mortgage a part of that value, mortgage a part of the longer-term future for 12 innings out of a guy? Like, it, it's tough when you get down to the the numbers and the value like that. The one, ca- the one pushback I'll have, and maybe they account for this, they probably do, is that not all values created equal, right? right? Like value in a vacuum, sure, you could lose a trade. But when you look at marginal values where, you know, something that I think a limitation of wins above replacement when we kind of pile players together to look at teams is that not all wins are created equal. Last year, one more win for the Jays was worth 
infinitely more than that would have been worth for the Miami Marlins or the Baltimore Orioles. And that's kind of the factor where, yes, you might lose a deadline trade on raw in a vacuum value, but teams being in different points on the contention curve is where you can get trades that are actually win-win, even though, even if the, even if it's not possible for a trade to be win-win on pure value based on where you are, Marginally, I, I think there are opportunities for that. And that's where, you know, having relationships with front offices like Cleveland and Oakland, where there's a trust level there and a knowledge of the other team's organization stuff, maybe that helps. Well, maybe that means they also need to find another contender they can deal with in the coming weeks, right? And yeah. make more of uh, like baseball, more of like a Tellez for Richards trade than a but with good players <laughs> yeah that's, that's like the that's the one example i could think of recently yeah of the jays making that kind of trade right yeah rather than the burrios for yeah there was one know, of those astros trade. ones a couple years ago where right. the hap teoscar everyone flying around yeah. there's the there were a couple astros trades so i'm losing the thread on which is which but so maybe you find the fit there yeah. where there's like a club that could yeah, yeah could use an outfielder for the next couple of years mm-hmm. or not even the next couple. It's the next year and less than half. The right? Padres get interesting with that. Cause they, they, if they and can, if they get healthy, they've got a lot of starters. Right. So like that's, it would be about, they finding... also need to shed a little bit of money. Sorry to cut you off. There. No, go ahead. Uh, they need to shed a little bit of money. I think around the competitive balance tax. Yeah. So m- maybe if there's a little money left in the Jays budget, you, you take, it's a net net expense for you trade, but you can, you know, turn a piece into a better piece and eat a little money to the, even it out. The way I understand the Blue Jays situation right now, budgetarily, it would be that like next year, they're tight. <laughs> this year, they could make a case up the ladder to ownership that like, hey, give us a bit more because yeah. we have this opportunity. But they'd have to they'd have to make a, a strong case. Yeah. And I'm sure their place in the standings right now doesn't help them making that yeah. case. And like you said, their run differential right now. And the attendance hasn't been maybe as high as you, you'd hoped, although we're heading into the high attendance months here now that school's out and everything. But. Blaming the fans. Yeah, Blaming absolutely. Fans Each and again, every yeah. one of you. Uh, <laughs> no, the real people to blame are obviously um, in order. The media. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The manager. Charlie, yeah. The front office. Mm-hmm. And then eventually way down the list, the players who play the least, yeah. the, the fringy bullpen <laughs> arms right. and the bench guys. Bradley Zimmer. Yeah. Uh, Wilson. Bradley Zimmer, gloves. best WRC plus on the team over this one and nine stretch. In what? Two plate appearances? <laughs> Maybe one. Right. I don't yeah. know. He hit he, that home run. I remember. He had, he had like three plate appearances in the last month or something. And one of them was against Brett Phillips. And he hit like a 400 foot bomb <laughs> to center field. And Brett Phillips plucked it off the top of the wall. Yeah. And I felt so bad for him. <laughs> His first plate appearance in weeks. It's against Brett Phillips, and he you know gets robbed. All right, we're we're running we're long here, it. which tells you just how much there is to sort through with the Blue Jays yeah. right now. Uh, Arden Swelling, thanks so much for taking an hour, man. We're gonna let you go. Do I have like thirty seconds yeah, to of get course. one more takeoff? Yeah. So the the Phillies are coming in this mm-hmm. week, right? With like a reliever that I think could really help the Jays if they could find a trade there. He's a lefty. He's a veteran. He's got tons of experience in high leverage spots. Uh, he's a multiple time All Star. He's got like a two three ERA, striking out a batter an inning. 95th percentile hard hit rate. His name's Brad Hand, and mm-hmm. I think he could really help the Jays. So I think they should go out and trade for him because he's having a spectacular season. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad one. Uh, the one tough part is the Phillies being six games over 500, but maybe that's a, another situation where you can find something win-win there. I just think if only the Blue Jays could find a way to add a guy like Brad Hand, everything would be great. Everything would be great. Uh, this has been great. Arden Zwelling, Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca, at the letters. Uh, thanks for taking the time. When we Cheers, come back. Buddy. 
Sarah Langs of MLB.com. Next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Didn't think Swing Swing by the All-American Rejects would fit that well. I knew we were going to talk about the Jays having a higher swing rate during this one and nine stretch, but Arden also mentioning a former love in Brad Hand who's coming to town. Perfect, perfect kismet timing for that song. By the way, speaking of people who are and aren't coming to town this week, little update from Matt Gelb of The Athletic. The Philadelphia Phillies are coming here for two games this week. They will not have... JT Realmuto, Alec Baum, Aaron Nola, or who was the fourth one? Kyle Gibson. All of them being placed in the restricted list. Uh, other absences were handled by demotions and injuries and things like that. But four players who already this year, just past the halfway mark, have combined to be worth 6.5 wins above replacement are not coming. That's a, That's a big one. Now, the pessimist in you who's just watched the Jays lose 9 out of 10 will be like, oh, great. It'll be an even worse Phillies team that takes two in Toronto. Uh, We'll see if they can't turn it around, though. To help us diagnose some of what's wrong with the Jays and uh, take a look ahead at the All-Star game, it's Sarah Langs of MLB.com. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on again. Uh, So the Toronto Blue Jays have lost 9 of the last 10, Sarah. Things are bad here. What has stood out to you the most about the Jays cooling off so dramatically? It does feel like, you know, you're talking about the higher swing rate before. It does feel like something is amiss at the plate. You know, they did run into a very good or very hot, I should say, Mariners team. As you guys saw, I know it was really cool, by the way, to see all of those Blue Jays fans in Seattle. Mm. I know that you know, fans go down for that series, not that far, all of that. But I loved watching those games and hearing in the background Blue Jays fans chanting. I mean, that was awesome. But, you know, some of it is you just happen to run into that team that is really on a good stretch as they were. Uh, and before that, obviously, with the A's and with the Rays, just it feels like at the plate they're not exactly who we thought they were going to be. You know, when I look at Vladdy Jr., who is such a great player, but has not been on that otherworldly plane that he was last year. And I just feel like when enough guys are kind of in those clumps at the same time together, this is what happens. But this team is better than that. We know that. They know that. I think everybody kind of knows that. When you look at, and I, I don't mean to ask you to, to quantify like an exact number of games or plate appearances, but when you see a team like the Jays, that this is, I would say this is their second kind of crisis stretch of the season already. And I know that they're still, you know, tied for a playoff spot right now. They're still tied for fifth in WRC plus as a, an example to snapshot their offense. Things aren't as bad as they feel sometimes, but when a good team has multiple really cold stretches. Is there a point at which you start to wonder if maybe there's a 
an underlying flaw there? Like, why does the offense keep getting cold at the same time? Why are they prone to extended slumps? Uh, or is that just, you know, we got to ride the highs and lows of baseball? Like, is there a point at which you start to change your thinking about a team? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, one bad stretch, every team has one bad stretch, and every good team could even be prone to two. But I do think when things are kind of happening all in concert together, you do start to wonder if it is something underlying. Like, just looking at these last 10 games, they've struck out 10 times or more in five of those games. You know, there are a lot of strikeouts in the majors these days, but certainly something that set someone like Vlad apart last year was not striking out all that much despite all of the power. And I think when you're a team that is running into a lot of strikeouts against a varying set of pitchers, I mean, yes, Robbie Ray is really good. Obviously, the team knows that directly and distinctly. But across the board, when you're striking out 10-plus times a night, that feels like maybe there's a broader play discipline thing going on. But I also think that pressing is just contagious, right? We can't actually uh, prove that in any way other than looking at what happens game to game. When you look at a team doing something like that, I mean, everybody's going out there trying to hit a five-run home run (laughs) to somehow get you out of some sort of deficit. When you get into that kind of mentality, it's really hard to climb out. So with a team as kind of fun and gregarious as the Jays, do you think that that's something, you know, when you say something like pressing is contagious, a team that is normally so happy and and demonstrative and stuff like that, like, like that's an easier thing to identify with a team like this probably, right? Probably, but I also think being happy like that is a really good way to get out of it. Yes, I, mean, I agree. Again, bringing it back, you know, think about the Mariners. The Mariners were really thought to be underperforming this year. A lot of people thought that maybe they could even make a run at the Astros. People certainly had them make a run at the wild card. And for the first two months of the season, they really had disappointed to those expectations. But that is a team that goes out there and has a lot of effusive and very obvious fun on the field. And I think when you see them then run into an eight-game win streak like they're on, you see that, you know, maybe that helps them retain that faith and know that they are better than they've played. And I could see the exact same thing happening for the Jays. That makes sense. And I think that, you know, that's something to to keep in mind as these guys – you know, today is going to be a, a heavy day for the Jays organization. It's an off day, but a lot of the team is traveling uh, to Virginia for the funeral uh, of first base coach Mark Budzinski's um, daughter. So there, there's there's a heaviness emotionally around the team, too. And I think that having that to lean back on, that that chemistry and that kind of personality and, um, you know, the, the chemistry in that room is hopefully an important thing to guide them through this. Let's spin it to a more positive now, Sarah. The... All-Stars have been announced, and there are four Blue Jays among them. Before we get into the specifics, though, how cool has it been to sort through all these reaction videos, and have you had a favorite one of a guy finding out he's headed the All-Star game? Oh, my gosh. I mean, this was my favorite sort of next-level thing that we got this year. You know, every year there's a new innovation. We've certainly seen a lot of teams doing this at the minor league level. When a guy gets called up, you know, we got a video of Adley Rushman, Bobby Wood, 
Julio Rodriguez. We got a lot of them when they got called up. We were in the manager's office seeing what that conversation was like. And I'm so glad that these teams, social media, PR, whoever it is, realized that, you know, all-star announcements are another great moment to kind of bring fans inside of. So a ton of teams put out videos, whether it was telling a guy individually in the manager's office or a group, you know, conversation in the clubhouse. And if I were to have to pick one, I think Jose Trevino of the Yankees, he just had so much emotion when Aaron Boone told him he was going to the All-Star game. He's like, I was going to go home to Texas and buy a new car. I mean, (laughs) when these guys really weren't expecting it, you know, and they had plans, I think that's really great too. But, you know, he puts his face in his hands, and you can see that he's overcome with that emotion. And he is such a great story. And, you know, I think that that kind of summed it up for me, but they're all really great. So I highly recommend people heading to Twitter and checking those videos out because it's so cool. And, you know, I had a friend say to me yesterday, a friend who's kind of newer to baseball, saying, you know, I didn't realize how big of a deal this was. And when you see these guys' reactions and you see how their teammates react for them, you really see how seriously – they take this and how much it means to them. And, you know, for us, it's kind of like, okay, it's a line on the baseball reference page. (laughs) But understanding how much it means to these guys, I think is really important. For sure. And especially the guys who get there for uh, the first time. Um, One name that stood out on the list was Brandon Drury. And that just feels like twisting the knife for for Blue Jays fans, where he had that brief moment here of of looking decent. And then um, the performance fell off the cliff. The Jays let him go. And now he's hitting 18 home runs with 50 RBI at the midway point. Um, But the Jays do have four all-stars on their own. They have Alejandro Kirk, George Springer, Alec Manoa, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, are you surprised that any of those are surprised at any Jays emissions or you, you think major league baseball got that one pretty, pretty accurate. I think that's a really good group. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was so excited for Kirk for him to be voted the all-star. I mean, I mean the starter, excuse me, and to be voted an all-star overall. I mean, it's just an incredible testament to Jays fans. Certainly and the momentum they brought behind him, but other fans, too. I mean, not all of those votes came from Jays fans. This is baseball fans across the U.S. and Canada saying, this guy is really good. He deserves this. And one thing I looked into when the stars were announced, he's going to be the youngest guy to start an all-star game at catcher since Pudge in 1995. And I think that his age, you know, especially with Gabriel Moreno up, I think the fact that Kirk is also really young sometimes gets overlooked. So I thought that was a really cool note. So let's look ahead just a little bit. And I know you're you're deep in the data a lot of the time with the StatCast stuff and, and all your work at MLB.com. Um, the Jays are struggling, and the J- despite having four All-Stars, they are barely hanging on to a share of a wild-card spot. When you look around the league, there are, I would say, 11 teams that are clearly like out of it and will be selling, 12 teams that are clearly in the mix and will probably want to add, and then there are seven of those kind of mystery in-between teams. How do the next couple weeks go? Um, teams like that. Do you see any potentially undervalued targets on those teams you expect to be selling? It's a really 
good question. I mean, I feel like the best part of the trade deadline is sometimes you get acquisitions you never expected to be that impactful, and that ends up being the key to a postseason run. So I do really wonder with some of those in-between teams, you know, I wonder where a guy like Trey Mancini is going to end up. All of a sudden, the Orioles are playing really (laughs) well, but they are going to sell, I would imagine. I mean, that would be the smart thing to do, and I think they know that. You know, another name out there is Andrew Benatendi for the Royals. I'm watching the Royals game while we talk, so maybe that's why it's on my mind. (laughs) But it's really interesting to see where these guys land up. But I would say in terms of underrated, for me, it's always a reliever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always a guy who is just totally flying under the radar, and you're not really aware of how great he is. And then he goes somewhere you'd be really good. Like Joe Mantiply is having an amazing season for the Diamondbacks. He's their all-star. You look at that, you think, okay, maybe he's only there because they need one. But no, he's having an outstanding season. I don't know his contract stats off the top of my head, but I feel like that's the guy who a lot of people are not aware of how good he's been. And I think that even these teams that are kind of struggling, have a couple pitchers like that in the bullpen, even the Reds, who have had a beleaguered bullpen. There's probably someone there who could really make an impact. And I mentioned bullpen because, I mean, there's so many teams that could use bullpen help. All of them. And I think even, yeah, even the team that thinks they're all set could use another reliever. And if you're looking to October, that's always what you're trying to kind of beef up. Sarah, I'm glad you mentioned Mantiply because he's he's a fascinating one in that he has he's not even ARB eligible uh, at, currently until 2024, so he wouldn't be a free agent until 2027. So you think maybe oh a team wouldn't be in a rush to get off of him, but he's also 31 years old. Um, yeah. He just took forever to get to the majors. I, I want to throw a quick stat trivia at you. He's thrown 34 and a third innings this year. How many walks does he have? Oh my gosh, I bet it's like three or four. It is one. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I knew he'd been really good. I have a colleague who was messaging me about him the other day, and I was so unaware until about a week ago what he's doing. But that's that's insane. I don't know if I've ever seen a pitcher's stat line where they have more batters hit, more wild pitches than walks, and the same number of balks. Oh, my gosh. He has as many balks as walks this year in 34 and a third inning. It's, It's pretty wild. Um, just how good he's been. And and I I agree with you. I think it's kind of those, you know, like even the the hardcore baseball fans among us, do you really know who the the fourth guy in Arizona's bullpen is? (laughs) Like probably not, but that guy could uh, make a difference for you. Sarah Langs. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, have a blast this week heading into All-Star Week. I, I'm sure the next little bit will be a, a ton of fun for you and hopefully talk to you again before the deadline. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Sarah Langs, MLB.com. little look through what's going on with the Jays in this slump here. The four Blue Jays who will represent the team at the All-Star game, Kirk Springer, Manoa, Guerrero Jr. And yeah, there are some potentially undervalued names out there. Just want to repeat, by the way, not undervalued, properly valued, how big a swing this is going to be. There's no game for us to tee up tonight. The Jays are off for the first time in forever, but the Phillies are here for two. Sarah mentioned that the Royals are here for four after that, and Andrew Benintendi is an interesting name. Uh, You know who you won't see here for these two games? JT Real Muto, Alec Bohm, 
Aaron Nola. Gibson. Who's first? I keep mixing them up. Poor Kyle Gibson. I, I wanted to call him Steve Gibson there. Uh, those four players combined six and a half wins above replacement per fan graph so far this year. Uh, so that's about a 12 and a half win pace for the season. So you're getting, you know, if we, if we extend wins above replacement to its extreme, and this isn't great math, but you're talking about a Phillies team that's on pace for about 90 wins right now. You're getting a 78 win version of that Phillies team instead. Will you feel better about the Blue Jays because of that? No. In fact, you might be a pessimist and you might be thinking, well, an even worse Phillies team is going to take two or at least one off the Jays. It's a tough time. Spirits are low. Concern is high. Nobody better to sort through concern with than my old pal from the fan morning show, J.D. Bunkus. J.D. and I fire up the Blue Jays concern index Next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. A little rage against the machine. For my pal, J.D. Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show. J.D., what's up, man? I miss you. Yeah, I miss I you, too. I have seen you in a few days. Yeah, because I, I guess we I had haven't. the outage on Friday, so I didn't wake and rake, right. and then I was off this morning. I, I didn't, I don't, as a Rogers employee, I, I say, what outage? No big deal. It was nice of us to reconnect with our friends and family and Remember that it's not all about, you know, the internet and yeah. social media and Simpson stuff. You know? it's, like, it's, like, it's about more, you know, it's about yeah. more. You know how hard it is to be the stats guy and not have access to your stats oh for two hours? It's yeah, uh, see, We manage, though. That was the day where just kind of being the takes guy who shoots from the hip really works. <laughs> I just got like, all right. Honestly, my show last Friday, the first segment, so the first like 22 minutes maybe, I didn't have a guest on, and I just like, talked and i was like man i don't know if i ever would have been able to do this if i hadn't shared a show with jd and like learned how to like stretch out and time out a longer take it helped too that the jays were every bit as much a disaster on friday as they are today uh just they were in a playoff spot friday and they're they're not today so um jd i played you in with rage you're wearing a pop the band shirt there uh you are seeing rage this weekend a little news for you i got rage tickets for when they're in toronto so We'll both have awesome. RTJ and Rage under our belts in a week or two. So my only thing with that is where are they playing here? Scotia. Yeah. See, like the reason that I wanted to go to Ottawa with my brother is that they're playing outdoors. Yeah. it's gonna That'll be a way better show. It just, yeah, you know, I live in Toronto. Yeah, it's here. No, <laughs> I get it. Like, I totally get it. I just meant that when I was deciding between the two things, yeah. I, that, that, that was the differentiator. And the ma- thing is mom I, can drive you when you're in Ottawa, right? She could drive you and your brother and pick you up after and stuff. I wish. I wish she was <laughs> doing that. We have to drive ourselves down and then stay. Although we are doing one child. We're staying at our aunt's place instead of getting a hotel. Oh, nice. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, so we're staying. We're bunking up at my aunt's place when we stay in Ottawa. But, no, I'm extremely excited. The last time I saw Rage was when I was in university for Rock the Bells in New York. And it was actually a day after Zach had come out and ripped George Bush. 
which is telling you how old I am when I was in college, which is tough, you know, yeah. tough to give that information. My first university concert was Billy Talon, and they ripped yeah. George Bush, and I was like 18 at the time. I'm like, stop talking about politics. Play the music. And we're now it's age. like, imagine, yeah, we're the same age. It's like, imagine going to a rage show and being <laughs> mad at the politics. It's like, no, that's no, the whole I, point. I wasn't mad at the politics. No, I know. But it's funny that you said that. The reason why I said we're the same age is because um, I my also first university concert was Billy Talent because they played our frosh. Nice. So it was like, yeah, Billy Talent was hot in the streets come, <laughs> you know, 2005 university. Yeah, like, try honesty, the, buddy. Let's go. Oh, dude, fire. You know, Billy Talent has some, like, straight up bang, bedity, bang, bang, bangers. Yeah. Like, it's just like you hear some of them now and you're like, wow, this fires me up, man. I love some Billy Talent. Yeah. Um, they just got lumped in with, like, the girls who wore, like, the checkered belts. Like, I think it's so it was just a tough look at the time. Yeah. But leather wristbands with the fake metal oh, spikes yeah. and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There you go. Uh, oh, yeah. But, dude, that hits so hard. That's so money. I love that. So, but anyways, like, their show, like, we were in this mosh pit. It was this massive, massive show. It was on Randall's Island in New York, you know, like, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But it was just nonstop mosh pit for, like, almost two hours because they didn't talk during the set. They just went song, song, song oh, because yeah. they would gotten clipped about the George Bush thing. Like, it was on newspapers. Those used to be a thing. Remember newspapers? It was, like, a big deal. You'd see one. I was, was looking like, yeah. for one on Friday. I was like, I yeah. need I need the box score. I need the stats. I Not that I, like, I, I'm exaggerating to the, the degree to which stats are a crutch, but I did, like, do a lap of the office to try to find a newspaper in case I needed someone's, like, batting average. Dude, um, that's funny. I I used to love reading sports sections and newspapers. Yeah, like it was like a like real, like one of the things I got into most with sports was reading the paper and reading sports columnists. My dad like, would bring home. So my dad worked shift work, and if he was on night shift, that would mean like he could get the paper on the way out. Like they would just like have them in the break room or whatever by that time. Thanks. And so like I were I remember Tuesdays was the day that the Toronto Sun published the, like, here's all the updated stats for every hockey team. You get the whole roster mm, and the stats so in, like, good. a two-page foldout. It's perfect. And then baseball, I mean, obviously, you're always just looking at the stats. It's, uh... So uh, I remember being a little kid and living on the West Coast. They would have to print the papers. like before, Oh, no, before the, the games, games happen. You're a and day so, behind. Yeah, so, like, to get Mariners and Sonic scores, you would have to wait, like, two days, and then they would do, like, the double box score thing. <laughs> or they would put in, like, all, like the box score for two i love that man i used to live off of the paper it's weird like it, th that was the strange thing about that day was um one realizing how addicted i am truly to my phone because <laughs> like the amount of times i checked it with no service and would get like irrationally mad was just unacceptable like if you would have truman showed me and seen me that day <laughs> like you would have you'd have been like do you know how many times you checked your phone I'd be like seven they'd be like 732 yeah like, you checked it so many times and I, I like i was working out i was reading a book i was trying to stay busy the only thing that really you know sucked was feeling like you know like cut off and like isolated from things because like you live in toronto like this is the thing is like if you live in a neighborhood a small neighborhood where you have like a community you could have had somebody who's like oh i'm in a phone but i'm in a building you know i'm in toronto and it's not exactly like go up and start knocking on neighbors doors no like, like south park like you got any of that e <laughs> internet you yeah. know like oh we're going out california way like that's how i felt that day so yeah i was doing the thing too is like you can't contact like it's like it's easy enough to just be like well you know you can't do stuff so go out and hang with people but you can't contact people so i was walking i was you walking home walk after my show friends. and like 
walking slowly past every patio to see if I would know anyone. Dude, just like, I don't want to sit down by myself, but if I run into someone. Uh, all right, we got to talk about baseball at some yeah, point. Um, because the I'm internet was down. Too, because it's going to be bad. Well, like, baseball you know, didn't happen this weekend <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, exactly. you, didn't, you didn't have the internet. You missed the Jays lose four in a row again. Uh, they've lost <laughs> nine of their last ten. They are now just tied for the final wild card spot. And worst of all, they've led a bunch of teams back into it. Baltimore and Cleveland are only two back. Seattle's tied with them. Even the White Sox are only two and a half back. So not only have you made the race tighter and your own position has weakened, you've taken trade targets off the market by letting these, at least for now, by letting these teams hang around. So, JD, what we're going to do, and I know this is a thing that other places do, and our pal Caitlin McGrath did it today, so apologies to Caitlin for using the same branding, but uh, you and I have done concerning... The branding you invented. Yeah, sure. it's okay. Yeah, sure. uh, but we were... Caitlin and I were colleagues at the time. It makes sense to share it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, yeah. like, I don't, I'll say something. Yeah. That's Con- your thing. So, Jay's concern index, uh, let's go. So, start at the very top. The team starting pitching generally... Your concern is, and for anyone who hasn't listened to us do this before, it's zero to five. Zero is, why did you even ask me this? Five is, I'm going to shut my laptop down and walk out because I'm so concerned about this. Zero to five, starting pitching just generally before we get into the specific names. It's it's so weird, right? Because they have two guys like, I, like Kevin Gossman is leading Fangraph's war. Yep. <laughs> he also has a foot he can't plant off of. Yeah, he can, and and like... I, but I will say that I'm glad that they didn't rush him, even though that game felt, mo- felt monumental. And I actually, okay, this is so weird because Ennis and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, what's actually worse, the starting pitching or the bullpen? I still think it's the bullpen um, because at least with the starting pitching, like, you have those two studs. And I think stripling is acceptable. And I hate buying this much Max Castillo stock this <laughs> early, but I actually think he might be pretty decent. Like, and that's the thing is, like, my concern index is a little lower with the starting pitching because Gossman, by all accounts, is going to get healthy. And I don't think that the team needs another stud. I think Barrios will normalize to a certain degree. Like, if I if Barrios had not been consistent for, like, his entire career beyond his rookie season, I'd probably put this up to, like, a 3.5 or a 4. Am I allowed to do, like, point yeah. fives? I don't know. Buddy, you can like, go to so three I, decimal places if you want. I'd probably have this higher, and like obviously it's been bad, but then you look at the other side of it, and it's like Kikuchi's contract is like it's borderline, it's borderline write-off. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so bad, eighteen million dollars for a guy that I think has the yips. Like I think that he is fully and completely out of it mentally, and that this time away is, that's what this is all about, like, don't you, like, this is not a mechanical thing, like, yeah, does he have some control issues right now, is he not as as trusting of that fastball as he should be, absolutely, but, like, his body language when he runs into trouble, the jersey pulling, and the, like, exhaling, and just, like, I can't remember a guy who looked so physically, like, and outwardly demolished as he is in those moments yeah your walk rate doesn't spike like this like he's always walked guys but this is like mm-hmm. outlier even for him without there being some mental component and yeah arden and i were talking earlier like everyone makes the joke about phantom il but the other thing that that allows you to do is you can send him on a rehab assignment and without having to do the like you know the optics of oh he got option to the minors and things like that 
I would imagine it's a mental break and then a chance to get a start or two in a triple A, like low yeah. stakes and stuff. So um, I guess just give me your concern index on the, the, the starting pitching as a whole and then a, a number for Kikuchi. So I'll give it I'll give it a 2.5 okay. because what scares me about the starting pitching is the lack of depth behind them. But if they're just healthy from this point on, and I'm not even including Kikuchi, I just think that going out and getting another depth starter is not the hardest thing to accomplish, like a guy who can go get some innings. But yeah. ultimately, like, how many teams would still trade places with the Blue Jays today when it comes to starting rotations that are, like, in the playoffs this very moment? Well, especially you look at a wild card series, you're running Manoa, Gosman, exactly. Barrios, right? Exactly. And so, yes, do I think that the problems on the back end have compounded the issues with the bullpen because they haven't been getting innings? Like, yeah, having to have UC Kikuchi only go two and then all of a sudden you've got fifth starters that can't do anything. And then a Gossman injury happens and you've got like, okay, so we're starting a guy who the Pirates were going to DFA? Like, that's not great. Like, I don't really love that scenario. So the depth of the starting pitching worries me to the core. Like, it keeps me mm-hmm. up at night. But if you have the guys that you're supposed to have starting next week, like heading into the All-Star break, this next six games, I still believe Barrios is good. And mm-hmm. I think that he's just kind of had a bit of a weird roller coaster of a season, but that he will normalize and settle in. Like, what would you set the over-under at today for Barrios' season-long ERA? I would say under 4.5. That might be tough just statistically, like with how much... Yeah, yeah. with just, he's already, like the fact that he hasn't missed time, he's thrown 90 innings. So you'd have to yeah. throw, to get it below four and a half, you'd have to throw 90 innings of sub three and a half ERA from here. Okay, so maybe I'll set it at four, seven, five. Yeah, I, I think that's that pretty accurate. Yeah, that lets him get like a 375, four ERA the rest of the way. And I think that's reasonable. But, that, but okay, then let me switch this question to this. If you had to pick... Uh, Jose Barrios, rest of the season, ERA, over, under four, I would take under. Yeah, slightly, I think. He is just yep, like, me he too. has five consecutive seasons of being a three and a half to four ERA guy. I think. Exactly. Like, even if you want to get analytical with it or whatever, like his zips rest of season projection is still a 423 ERA. Like, it's not even, it hasn't even gotten negative on him yet, really. Like, it's like, okay, a quarter of a run worse than, than what we normally expect. I think I think it'll be fine more more or less. Uh, okay, so let's... Yips and Zips could have been the name of our podcast. Yips yeah. of, like, body language guy, me, and Zips, <laughs> the analytics for you. We should have yeah. done that. That's the name of the segment. We yeah, except neither of us needs to do more work and have a, a podcast on top of that. So, <laughs> um, okay, true. so bullpen then. The bullpen checks in right now, by the way, with... Uh, let, me, let me throw some numbers to contextualize this. A 430 ERA overall, which is fine-ish. However... Yeah. That includes a 290 ERA in low leverage situations. They have been good in, when it doesn't really matter. And they've yep. been league average in medium and high leverage situations with a below average strikeout rate as a bullpen. Uh, JD, your concern index with the bullpen as a whole? Four. Um, I'm really concerned about the bullpen because here's the thing. My, like... So my version of concern index has always been the opposite, which is I do confidence rankings, Mm -hmm. you know, with like, hey, who do I want up at the dish right now in a big spot? You know, the Jays have a runner on second and two outs. Who who do I want there? When the Jays are protecting a one-run lead, who do I want coming out of the bullpen? Right now, by my account, they don't have a long man that I trust because it's Trent Thornton, okay? so that's Who's in the minors now, by the way, because they've had to juggle so much. Exactly. So... You've got no long man, 
You've got no Loogie that I trust because Tim Mays is lost. Like those two pass balls were kind of like the story of the unsung story of the game to me. Yeah. Where it's like, dude, what what are we doing here? Like this this is just not good enough. Tim Mesa is not the Tim Mesa of the past. He started so no walking Lugie. a lot of guys too. Exactly. So you've got no Loogie. Your setup man in Jimmy Garcia is hurt right now, but also like, Kate, I like Jimmy Garcia, but it's not exactly like he's been Mr. Lights Out. He's been kind of up and down throughout the season, and his strikeout numbers have dipped like significantly to the point where I go, yeah, I, I like you, but if you're number two in the confidence rankings, like that's not a very good bullpen right now. Mm-hmm. You love Jordan Romano. You believe in Jordan Romano. But after that, it's like Adam Simber doesn't give up home runs, but I don't. Adam Simber has situations that I don't like him in. I don't want him there when it's contact. I don't trust Trevor Richards. Like, there's just not a lot of guys in this pen right now that I get like, okay, good, this person's coming out of the bullpen. So it has to be a four because it's just like they don't have swing and miss. They don't have a good long man. They don't have a lefty. Like, I I just don't know what's to really like about it outside the closer. And I guess that's the most important thing is if you can get to the ninth with the lead, you do have a guy who's absolutely lights out. But beyond that, it's just it's paper thin. And I think the most aggravating part is that it's like, you're supposed to have guys that you can turn from starters in the minors that have that velocity and like, dude, what's our one complaint about baseball for the last like three, four years is that it's all strikeouts and that's the whole game. There's no contact. And yet the Blue Jays had another year where they designed their bullpen around no swing and miss. Like it's kind of inexcusable the way that this was considering what they had in the minors and what they thought like the levers would be. So okay, sure, you can quote-unquote build a bullpen more easily on the fly in theory, except for, you know, you just mentioned that Mariners thing and the Baltimore thing and Cleveland. And I think, like, the most... The thing that's being the most under-discussed is something that I brought up earlier today, which is, like, yes, those teams are not only in the mix in terms of not being sellers, but now you also have a team like the Mariners who's going to be desperate to buy. they got the longest playoff drought in all of baseball. Now you've added another team that is going to be hyper-aggressive in the trade market and inflate what few teams are actually willing to sell and might be interested in buying every single thing that you're interested in. And I think that just puts the Blue Jays in a really tough position where I, like you and most smart baseball fans, don't think that you should overpay for relief pitching both in free agency or in the trade market. But what I think I've learned from the last two seasons with the Blue Jays, and sorry for this long-winded answer, is that like I'd rather pay in free agency than in the trade market. Like I, I would rather have the certainty of going into the season or at least the flexibility to say like you're going to have a sunk cost with somebody than moving valuable trade assets out that should never be involved in names that are that volatile be a part of a discussion for team building. So like it's a four. It's a four in terms of the way that they've built it. It's a four in terms of what they have in there. And it's a four in terms of like their ability to address it right now. Like I, I frankly, I don't know how it could be much lower. Yeah, I'll tell you. Paying Liam Hendricks $18 million a year when he hits the IL in mid-June would have felt yeah. one way. You know what feels really good? Having Liam Hendricks at any price the rest of the time. Of course. Um, of course. And that's like that's a name that would have been really interesting if the Jays and other teams could have kept the White Sox at arm's length, right? Like Because he does make a lot of money and he does miss a ton of bats. It's a, it's a tough thing. I do think you got to take... And I know the front office would tell you, like, they thought they were going to have bat missing stuff maybe in if one of Brucky Mayweather or Pearson clicked. And, like, look, it, it sucks that this this has worked out for the Jays this way, but Brucky's showing you now in Seattle what the Jays thought they could have got out of him. It just, uh, it's somewhere else. But, yeah, you have to, you have to reevaluate 
how you're building the bullpen out. And what's going to be even tougher is like, I think they're going to have looking ahead to arbitration numbers and salary structures and stuff like that. They're going to have even less flexibility this coming off season than they had yeah. this past off season. I don't know that that that's why you start looking at guys that have this year plus next year on the, on the trade market as well. And there are, there are infinite of them, but like you just laid out, they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of competition for those guys. Now there's only 11 teams you would count right now that are for sure sellers. It's just, to me, it's kind of like they seem to have a bit of a beat on, and I can't tell if it's luck or if it was actually something astute, but they seem to have a beat on veteran guys who were being overlooked that they could take in and actually turn into serviceable relievers. Like, you remember O, and you Mm -hmm. remember Hudson, and they were pretty decent at that when the team was non-competitive. And for whatever reason, it feels like the rest of the league went really heavy into paying bullpen arms, And the Jays looked at it like, we're going to zag here. We're not going to follow the trend of paying for these kind of arms. And we're going to continue to try to do it on the cheap. And that strategy seems to like have really bit them in the ass. Because if they miss the playoffs this year... like By one game again. That's what I mean. If they end up missing the game or the the playoffs again by a game or whatever, I just think it's going to be a really, really, really hard thing to say that once again they... They messed up because of the bullpen. You know what the like result's going to be, though, right? Bullpen Woof. is then they overpay this offseason for a reliever and he immediately gets hurt. Yeah, probably. Or, or turns yeah. into a pumpkin or something like that. It's yeah, uh, it's coming. Okay, let's continue with the concern index. Uh, the hitting what side. What was yours, by the way? What was your number? Oh, for the bullpen, yeah. like three and a half, and that's a little lower just because like you're going to be able to address it. Like even with competition. I ran a whole I ran a thing the other day with Fangraphs numbers and Statcast stuff and like put a bunch of filters on it of like this is the type of guy you're looking for from these teams and even taking some of these teams that have made a push off you still got about 40 names there that you could like not 40 good names but 40 names that are like yeah that guy would be better than the worst guy in the Chase bullpen that uh, makes you feel better yeah it's a it's a long list okay so the bats have been cold again during this one and nine stretch like very cold like really really shaky especially with runners in scoring position so quickly let's go through a couple hitters uh quicker concern index let's start with this by wrc plus and obviously we're not using sample size cutoffs here but during this 10 game stretch your two best hitters by wrc plus have been bradley zimmer and rymel tapia your concern index with that (laughs) uh i think it's a two um (laughs) and i'll maybe up it to a 2.5 just from the standpoint of I, I think that this offense is a little overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, like, when they get hot and they start to pump out the numbers like they did last month where it was like, this is the number one offense in baseball, I don't really feel that way because I think that they are still the team that we saw last year, which is two one-dimensional, and they don't draw walks. And when they don't draw walks, they don't put runners on, and they don't uh, they don't force teams to go into their bullpens. Mm-hmm. It's just like... You know, I was, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Like, I know part of this is confirmation bias and part of this is just being like a stupid sports fan. But why is it that I felt like the Jays were out of a game against the Oakland Athletics the other night where they're only down a few runs with that offense? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of baseball or a lot of Blue Jays fans feel that way. So, like, I don't think that they are as quote unquote special as people try to make them seem sometimes. But I also just think, like, when you have a streaky offense like this with multiple streaky players, like, this is kind of the burden that you have to accept at times um so yeah i'll give it a two um but i do think that like if we're projecting forward 
Um, I am kind of curious when you talked about like those arbitration guys and we'll go faster. It's like what the future of like Teoscar Hernandez is in terms of like diversifying this stuff and mm-hmm. whether he'll be a guy they, they put up on the trade block for that final year rather than like work on an extension. Yeah. That, that's something we can definitely dive into more. And maybe it's more of an off season question because like the yeah. thing you run into now is like, yes, there, there are probably teams that could use Teoscar and would like him and the one year he has left, but, but the they're, and they're not the teams that are in seller mode right now. If you're a seller, yeah. If you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and David Bednar and Jose Quintana are on the trade table, why do you want Teoscar Hernandez? No, you, you don't. don't. You um, and and it's really hard to do a win-win trade with another contending team. The Padres would be the one team I'd circle. I mentioned this to Arden just because, like, I if I'm remembering correctly, they have to shed a little bit of money right now to get under the competitive balance tax and they have extra starters. Um, so maybe there's something you can figure out there. Revisit the Clevenger thing, but that's too much money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, there's, there's some potential there. Uh, okay. Vlad looks completely human this year. He's still good. Yeah. He has a WRC plus of 130, so 30% above league average. But this is a guy who for the first half last year was up around 190 and was an MVP candidate. Your concern index with half a season of Vlad looking good, not great. I wish I could be a hotter take guy today. Like No, I, no, I that's okay. Like, but yeah, I, I'll say two and a half because... Okay. I think that if you look at Vladdy's career now as a major leaguer as a whole, like if you take the entire picture of it, which is normally kind of unfair because he was like a rookie or whatever, and yep. like he was young. And but he it's was the like only all... sample we have. He barely but... played in the minors. He got to the it... majors immediately. Exactly. If you look at the entire sample of Vladdy now, it paints the picture of last year being more of an outlier than anything else. And so and I would his, say that his second half last year was not much different than his it first wasn't. half this year. It wasn't. And so there's part of me that goes. Maybe he's not that it's not even part of me. I think that the two point five comes into a play where I go a lot of the Blue Jays foundation and a lot of the belief in this team in terms of why they would be the World Series champions this year, why they were World Series contenders, was on the foundation that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was a generational bat and that he could arguably be the best batter in the entire sport. Which he was last year, arguably. Exactly. And so what he has shown now in totality gives me at least enough concern to say, I don't know if he is that. I think he might be very good. I think he might be an all-star. But, like, what are like if I told you today, like, if I would have told you at the beginning of the season, over-under on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. MVPs is that, you know, wins. Is that, like, 0.5? You would have said, that's probably too low. Like, everyone's going to take mm-hmm. the over on that. If I would have said... Like, okay, 1.5. You'd be like, well, it's going to be really hard to do, but maybe, you know, I'd probably rather take that or at least that's where the line is. I think as of today, it'd be really hard to say that, Vladdy, you'd take the over 1.5 MVPs for his career. And so... Yeah, it's just especially at a position like that. Like, the bar exactly. is so high offensively. Like, he was the best hitter in baseball last year and didn't win it. Yeah, so, I again, I don't want to try to make this seem like I'm trying to be overly reactionary or writing him off, or I don't think that, like, again, he's a special bat or a special player. I just wonder if he is going to ever, like, if he's going to consistently be one of the best five hitters in baseball, because I think the premise, again, of this team being special rides a lot on that. Yeah, and to give to, again, go back to kind of a projection system, what do you see him as from here? Last year, that first half, 190 WRC+, plus, so 90% better than league average. Uh, Zips projects him from here at 158, which is a little less than what his whole season was last year, a little better than he's been so far this year. Actually, like a good – the batting average is where it's most optimistic it's going to come back. 
Um, like he's not a 266 hitter, um, but still 292, 376, 556 slash line is Vlad's projection the rest of the way. Still very good, but that would bring him into that would bring him in at a total of just over four wins above replacement for the season, uh, where he was well over six last year. So that's uh, all. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's still a very good player, but it, like you said, they built this around uh, him being an MVP caliber guy. Okay. Real quick. Uh, Bo looks pedestrian at the plate. It's a similar story to Vlad just at a tear down. He has been an exactly league average bat so far this year. So again, I will preface this one with, it depends on what your expectation is of Bo. Yes. My expectation was that he could be an MVP caliber player. And he was the guy that led the American league in hits last year, 29 and home runs and 25 stolen bases at shortstop last year, 121 runs, 102 RBI. And he almost hit 300. I it's, 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 this is a tough one to answer because I think Bo has so much raw talent mm-hmm. that it's just, it's never going to be all that bad. And there is also a positional thing in there too, right? Where you look at it and you have to factor that into it. I guess where my concern index would come in is how much do you believe in a player's, um, I don't want to say willingness, but desire to make adjustments versus what they've done always has worked for them. Like, I, I wonder, like, is there another leveling up for Bo or are we just always going to have to live with the fact that Bo Bichette, like, either looks like the greatest hitter or, like, the most exciting guy at the plate or the least exciting guy who's waving over breaking balls that are, like, down in a way that would make Justin Smoke blush? You know, <laughs> like... Which one of these two things is it? So I think that, again, I'll give him the same Vladdy number of like 2.5 because he has underwhelmed, I would say, as much as any Blue Jay on this team, including Jose Barrios. Like, it has not been a good year for Bo. It's been a bad year. It's been a really bad year given the expectations. Again, I think he's so talented and I think he's so driven that he will figure these things out. But I do wonder if the, like this is a guy who didn't want to move off a shortstop and proved everybody wrong. So now can you also be a guy that proves that he can be a little bit more selective at the plate when we usually hear that with baseball players and then it doesn't actually happen, yeah. especially guys who are as strong-willed as he is. So One of I'm the worst OBPs of any top-of-the-order hitter in baseball right now. Dude, if you get on base less than 30% of the time and you want to be an MVP candidate, you better be like all Drenton Simmons on steroids at that <laughs> position. Like, you know, it's just, it's it doesn't make any sense. All right, we only got a minute here. So the Jays have yeah. six games left before the all-star break what is uh, an outcome this week that give, lets you exhale a little bit heading into the all-star four and break two. four and minimum two. okay four and two they go three and three i think that again they have to change the manager and i think that they have to have like a very serious conversation about like what uh and when the timelines are for what's going to happen at the deadline like these are bad baseball teams this is kansas city royals this yeah. is a team that's like an ultimate sell mode and you play them four times Right or no three and three? Is it three and no, three? No, it's two and four. And the Phillies yeah. don't have Real Muto or Baum yeah, exactly. or Nola or yeah. a bunch of guys. You, you got to win. You got to win four of these games minimum. And I think five is the only one that makes guys like me who have been hot this week <laughs> look stupid. All right, uh, JD Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show. Thanks for coming on and doing this. We'll tee up Jays Phillies tomorrow on the Wake and Rake on the Fan Morning Show at eight thirty a.m. Uh, this has been Jays Talk Plus. We'll be back with you tomorrow with Chris Black. Alex Coffey, all your text and mailbag questions. Uh, thank you to JD Bunkus, to Arden Zwelling, to Sarah Langs, and to JR and Derek behind the glass. No Jays game tonight. Normally, this is where I tell you where to find Ben Wagner and all that stuff, but there's nothing. Enjoy your Monday. We'll be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock for Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan.